Hi everyone, Lucas Werner here. If you've been enjoying these conversations about art and culture, you might want to check out the newest releases from David's Werner Books, where we've published award-winning titles on Diane Arbus, Yayoi Kusama, and Carrie James Marshall, in addition to Ekphrasis, the critically acclaimed series of texts on art. This season, look out for books from the likes of Catherine Bernhardt, Noah Davis, and Marcel Zama, as well as new additions to the beloved Ekphrasis series. Visit davidswernerbooks.com to learn more. My name is Helen Molesworth. Uh, I help out at the Underground Museum, and I organize the Noah Davis Show at the David Zorner Gallery. Um, hello, my name is Karan Davis. I am an artist and co-founder of the Underground Museum, Noah's wife. Hi, this is Khalil Joseph. I'm Noah's brother and co-founder of the Underground Museum. From David Zwerner, this is Dialogues, a podcast about artists and the way they think. For someone who lived till 32, such short, like, so, he did so much, so many different styles and, and conquered so much in his paintings. And he was able to actually collapse how people, what art means to any art maker or art lover, and actually collapse it into the actual experience of engaging art. It's a dream world that had all this room for all these other people's dreams, too. I'm Lucas Werner, and every episode features a conversation. We're taking artists, writers, philosophers, designers, and musicians, and putting them in conversation with each other to explore what it means to make things today. Hi, it's Lucas. We thought we could end this tumultuous year by revisiting one of its high points for us. When we got Helen Molesworth, Khalil Joseph, and Karan Davis together to talk about the life and work of the artist Noah Davis. This conversation between a few of those who were closest to Noah, his wife Karan, an artist, his brother Khalil, a filmmaker, and the curator Helen Molesworth, took place just before the first lockdown hit New York earlier in the year, and on the occasion of an exhibition of Noah's work at our 19th Street Gallery. That show and this episode really felt like a celebration of his short but incredibly influential life. And we've been thinking about it as we get closer to the one year anniversary of that exhibition. We hope you enjoy it and we'll be back with a new episode in the new year. I thought if, if you're comfortable talking about that, Corona, I, I would really love to hear kind of how you and Noah met. Uh, I heard from Dagny yesterday, him bringing you into the bookshop at LACMA and him oh, yes. saying, I'm in love to Dagny. And, uh, and, <laughs> and that made me think like it would be kind of amazing to hear sort of how that relationship materialized, how you guys got to know each other. Well, we had met, my friend had met him in the grocery store in West Adams and she was doing a party, like art party thing. And I, at the time, I was living in West Adams with about five other girls in this house, which is this huge house, huge house, which is the norm. Casa La Femme, we called it. <laughs> yes. DJs. I mean, it was a crazy house. And they got to talking, and he's like, "I'm an artist, but I don't have a studio." And she was like, "Well, you can come over to my house and paint in the living room." And at the time, I was working for a director, and I'd come home, and he was there. I was. A workaholic. He had a girlfriend, but we stayed friends over the years. How old were you guys back then, would you say? Or how old was he? 24? 23? 23, 
Yeah. He had just moved out. He had from just New York. moved out. So it was after Cooper, basically. Like yeah. he left Cooper early and got fed up with New York and came yeah, to LA. He dropped out of Cooper. And then him and I lived together and we lived down the street from where Corral was living in a big house at the time. And, and my mom has always said mm-hmm. Noah's happiest when he's painting in his whole life. Wow. And so when, you know, there was a lot going on at that time too. I, in New York for him, there, 9-11 had happened yeah. mm-hmm. and he saw it. We had been in, oh, wow. the family yeah, had been in that New York for like, yeah. they moved to New York in September 2011, <laughs> yeah. September 1st. Oh it was God. an intense year. I yeah, it was an intense talking year. Talking about that and how nine eleven really affected him. Yeah, he has photos. He has very mm-hmm. explicit photos that he took. So I think that it was a lot, and the family unit was starting to contend with itself mm-hmm. coming to New York from Seattle. So um, all of that, I think, put just created an opportunity for him to come out west, where he met Karan. But you guys were really, what one gets from the catalog and from reading about the families that you guys were really close as a family. I mean, your father, Kevin, it's like there was a real kind of intense closeness. Um, that sounds like there were weekly dinners. The, well, we grew up in Seattle and we didn't, we grew up as a, as kind of a standalone nuclear families, meaning we didn't have aunts or uncles or cousins in Seattle. My dad got a job out of college mm. uh, at a law firm in Seattle. So all we had <laughs> was ourselves. Mm. And my mom's family's from Chicago and my dad's family's from Sacramento. Uh, we, we just, Seattle's an island, yeah, right. literally and figuratively. So, um, yeah, I think that created a sense of closeness. But you, your father was already in New York at the time. My father was a lawyer in Seattle and his law firm expanded to New York and they, and they asked him to head up the New York. Got it firm right, so the right. family moved and it co- happened to coincide perfectly with noah's freshman year at Cooper. Got it. okay 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 so you're kind of beginning you're, you're in the in the casa femme and he's painting there and he has a girlfriend at the time but you guys stay friends i didn't have contact with him for a while but the painting that he made for this show oh. for some reason ended up in my apartment so i would always think about him and then a few years later i think it was around my birthday um a group of us were hanging out and um, he called the house and he said, oh, there's, you know, they're shooting off um, fireworks over here. It's so loud. Can I come over? And I was like, sure. And he never went home. <laughs> um, <laughs> we were just attached at the hip from that day forward. Wow. You know, yeah. And soon after that, we got a house together and we locked ourselves in the house and we made work and he became my teacher. Right. And I was making films at the time and a closet artist and we were just like in our nest. Wow. All I remember is by the time he was 25 they were married. <laughs> we looked up and they they were married. You guys were married by the they time. They got was... married in Miami at Art Basel. I remember, I read about that actually. <laughs> He's like fuck this art fair. Oh, can I, can I... It was that but was that I remember I think it was for the rebel it, it was it around was the, the, it was 30 yeah. Americans. 30 Americans. He was down there and, and yeah. Yeah. And he yeah. yeah. Um, he loved <laughs> we eloped during 30 Americans. He's like, fuck this art fair. Let's get married. And I was like, sure. That's that photo that's yes. stepping into tomorrow. That's yeah. them getting married in Miami at oh Art Basel. Yeah, City Hall. What, By who, a woman with purple hair, which was that sounds, like, so weird. Sounds, <laughs> sounds fitting, potentially. I mean, that's something yeah. like um, who else who was there for that? Was that like... Um, it was just us. Okay. Our parents he, were very upset that yeah, we did that. Yeah. There was no wedding. But, right. You know. But that's where he and Henry became close. Oh, really? Henry Taylor. 
Because Henry, of course, was in this show too, the show, and yeah. where they were right interacting with each other. Did mm-hmm. you become friendly with Henry Taylor then too, or was it? Yes. Yeah. Well, right away, I remember we were in a taxi, and Henry was on the street. And Henry saw, and I was like, "Hey, what's going on, Noah?" And I thought they had known each other for years the way that Henry was interacting with him. And I was like, "No, I've never met him before." But. Um, <laughs> And instead of going to all of the art fair functions, like we would end up in Henry's hotel room, just like drinking and smoking and have a good time. And um, that's what it was about because it was, you know, how the art fairs can get. So. Um, I mean, it sounds like it's sort of coming up, but there's a lot of talk, I think, around Noah about charisma. Oh, yeah. And he was always just very interested in you. And your dreams and what you're doing and inspiring you and, That's you true. know, yeah, you should do it. Oh, you want to open up a, whatever, like, do it, do it tomorrow. Yeah. You know, yeah. here's what everybody says, you know. Yeah, I think that that's right. I think part, my experience of Noah is that part of his charisma came from his generosity. Mm-hmm. So he was really genuinely interested in what other people had to say yeah. and what they were doing. Mm-hmm. He's really interested in what kind of work you did and like what your artwork was, what your writing was. You know, he would, he just, and then he didn't just take it in, but then he kind of gave it back to you. Right. Um, and there was something about that that you did sort of feel like when you were with him, like, even though he was doing 12 things, you were the only thing <laughs> he was matter. paying attention to, you know? So it was that kind of energy too. Um, but really I do think the charisma came in large measure or for me, it was just really tied to the generosity and the curiosity of his spirit. Right. Yeah, Yeah. totally. And he was so genuine and real and he would tell you things that you didn't want to hear about yourself. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he was very blunt. Okay. And I think everyone loved that about him too. He didn't hold it back at all. What are some examples? Can you think of like brotherly examples, Khalil? (laughs) (laughs) I was going to ask about this sort of like brotherly dynamic. I didn't get this. Did you get the sense that he did that? He would say that to people's face or he would just say that about, okay, that's interesting. I don't think he would. He would always just, he wouldn't dance around. He always had his opinion and stood by it. Yeah. I mean, he was very mercurial, I'll be honest, and like Mm -hmm. an enigmatic, meaning you, what you're saying about him is largely accurate. Right, but, but it's not accurate in the words that you're saying. Huh. Does that make sense? Yes. Like if if you were to show it based on what you're saying right now, it's not. He's actually really shy. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if he was here, mm-hmm. he wouldn't really be enthusiastic about what we're doing right now. Right. <laughs> he's not like, yo, let me. No, no, no. I understand. Talk right. about my. Yeah. Right, right, right. And yeah. what I'm trying, you know, and who. He'd um, turn it back on you. Right. He'd say, oh, so. Exactly. How'd you get involved in editing? Why'd you want to do these podcasts? Right, like, right, right, so right. how'd that hook up? Like. What's that mm-hmm. Simon Schuster hookup I have read about? Right, like he right, right, he right, right, right. any energy you brought to him, in my experience, he tended to turn yeah. back yeah. toward you in a way. Interesting. Like he wasn't very social, but then that's like the opposite of who he was too. Like he was very yeah. like a bon vivant, but he's he's not like he yeah like he didn't he like to travel, but he went everywhere. It's he's kind of a <laughs> dark. He's, there's like he's, tension. Yeah, yeah, he's paradoxical in a lot of ways. You know, it's interesting to hear that there was a kind of interior quietness to. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Oh yeah. You never really saw him out like that. 
Huh. He'd find little pockets of people like Karan and her friends at the house, right? You know, mm-hmm. or what ended up cultivating at the underground was a group of people that no one knew, and by extension, people like Karan and I knew, right? And that was it. And even how Helen got pulled into the fray <laughs> was you, you know, it, it, yeah. There was yeah. no press releases. There was no Instagram right. accounts. There was no. Maybe Helen, you can talk about that pulling into the fray, and <laughs> you know, I, I remember, you know, as I was looking back at it, you said that all in all in, you really you knew him sort of eight months, um, which is kind of astonishing given I think how deep that connection feels or seems to feel from the outside, you know. Yeah, I met Noah in mid September two thousand fourteen, and he passes at the end of August two thousand fifteen. So it's a it's a short year. Um, for, for sure. And I'm always very conscious of that. And one of the reasons I think the, the show of the paintings at the gallery is so moving is, um, most of the time that I spent with Noah, we actually spent working on the underground like that. That was what he was talking about. That was where this incredible kind of time pressure, especially when, as he got sicker and it you know and time was feeling compressed and and um precious that uh yeah we were everything i think that he was doing with me really was about the um and trying to secure the this roadmap that he left us which was an extraordinary roadmap uh we talk a little about that roadmap what that is that document because it's kind of an amazing yeah, it's pretty great. You know, the the way the um the way we organized the partnership was that basically I gave Noah a a three-ring binder that basically contained thumbnail images of everything in Mocha's collection and said, "Choose what you want." And he started just going through it and making shows. Like he was just picking objects and making these lists, making like Excel sheets. And then him and Karan started making these, these, you were calling them prezies, like these PowerPoint presentations, (laughs) you know. With our limited skills, yes, we tried to make presentations for the underground (laughs) many times. (laughs) Right, like like this kind of rudimentary deck or PowerPoint. Um, But it was all, you know, and I remember once having you know, lunch with Khalil and like, basically like saying like, is this going to happen? Like I need to like, (laughs) you know, like I kind of needed a, like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this. You know, I need to know that, you know, this is happening. And, um, and Karan and Noah would like, I'd go and see them in the hospital. And then, you know, the next day that we would be working back and forth. Um, yeah, on the you laptop know. before the chemo kicked in, that was like right. there was like this window that we would work in the hospital. Exactly, yeah. and they and they were just trying to pull all these ideas together, um, so that basically we had a roadmap. We never, I mean, the weird thing to me about it's like how much did Noah know, and how much is just this energy that sort of enveloped us at a certain point, because the way I always think about the UM and what Noah did was I feel like there was this group of people around the space that year. And he basically asked everybody to do a certain thing. Hmm. And then when he passed, 
we all just did the thing he'd asked us to do. <laughs> and then like, and then nonfiction opened, you know what right. I mean? And then it was just like, oh, you, you know, like, I don't even think I really understood like, oh, he made those collages about the garden and Leanne is doing the garden mm -hmm. or like oh. Khalil is like Lots way out there with purple garden cinema. Like there's going to be this whole thing that's going to happen out mm -hmm. in the garden in the summertime. Like in, you know, Daniel had a sense of his aesthetics, uh, you know, and how he wanted things to be framed, you know, his sense of typography, his sense of like gold leaf, his sense of a certain kind of font style, you know, like he, like everybody right. knew something. And then there was this collective energy, but it's not like, it wasn't like being on a team and like the coach called the play or anything. It was like, we were just out there and that it, it just happened. And I think that's just his, whether he did that consciously or not in a way almost doesn't matter to me because the, that is, I think the genius of Noah as if when I think about the underground as a work of art, yes. which I often do, that's where I see Noah's authorship almost in the in the biggest hmm. way is him knowing who to. Yeah, and that's like I always think about him. He's a basketball player. He played point guard, right? He's got a point guard mentality, right like now. like run the floor, <laughs> you know, like yeah, do this yeah. We all yeah. had our marching orders. Mm -hmm. But would you guys each have known what the other one had, or was it sort of like slightly siloed and then everyone just kind of came together and the thing happened? I think, well, we all have a, a version of Noah that we walk around with and we come together to bring those pieces mm. to, there's there there's a, a, a very real sense of dynamic leadership, if you will. Mm. So I'll be I'll be adamant about any given thing, whether it's, from an artist that I think we should include in the show or how the thing, and then I could get the direct opposite kind of impulse from Karan, Helen, Anya, my mom, the director, Megan. And it's about what the group feels. Consci yeah, consciousness kind of tends, tends towards. Wow. And it happens like that, I think, across the board, um, which is really beautiful. It feels, um, you know, like we're always trying to see, okay, well, what is Noah on? What is Noah wanting to kind of bring to to light? Like, yeah. I thought nonfiction was a really beautiful example of Noah's how he let room for all of us to kind of uh, participate in his vision or give life to his vision. So, I don't know how many artists are in nonfiction, which I can't is I don't remember anymore. 11 or something maybe. yeah it's like, that's about right mm. yeah, 11. but there's only four of those artworks and artists that are in mocha's collection so right. he organized an 11 person show from only four actual works right so he wanted carrie james marshall and david hammonds and the astro gates and dina lawson down the list in the show but they weren't in mocha's collection in terms of the works that he wanted he wanted right. so we then had to go and he wasn't at all explicit about the works from those artists that he wanted in the show for Hammonds, he actually wanted the hood right specifically um and we had to go out and ask david for the because <laughs> <laughs> no one and who was know. gonna call we're all like who's gonna call yeah who's gonna call who's gonna that call? was easy yeah. we all just looked at Khalil. Khalil. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was that, that was a no-brainer man <laughs> Um, was that what was that call like Do you, was he receptive to the whole project he probably had heard of it already well, for those who know David on any level, I think personally recognize that 
I don't no amount of logic or rationale is going to win him over. It has to be some mystical set of circumstances that, and so I just, I didn't know that because I never talked to the man. And so I was fortunate to get his phone number and I, he picked up and I had, as I don't know, you know, you had your elevator pitch. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I got you this is there. who I am. This is what the underground museum is. This is who my brother was. This is what the show, you know, I don't, it felt like an eternity, but it might have been thirty seconds. Yeah, <laughs> and he just kind of listened and said, uh, "You know, well, we knew the woman who actually owned the hood, and there was, I think, some challenge there. Actually, you know, of course, getting it loaned. So um, he said, well, 'Why don't you just chop off?' <laughs> he gave us permission. To, <laughs> he gave us yeah. permission to just chop off another gray hood, and he, he told me to call it in parentheses." gray to to find a gray hoodie because the original i think is now yeah. off black or off black, black. Yeah. yeah and i just remember being stunned in that moment that it that this was going to happen and in such a underground kind of way if you will but we were so diligent remember there was, like i he told forget me to, and he told me to 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 destroy it afterwards. I remember yeah, we burned it in some ceremonial way after but i, I don't remember i don't remember who went out but someone went out and bought like Five different gray sweatshirts. You guys have to pick. Do you know what I mean? Like it was, it's a room full of artists. So everybody was like, "Oh snap! This has to be like the best cut off hood from a sweatshirt ever." A lot of pressure there. Yeah, that people took it incredibly seriously. And David knew Noah. He knew. Oh, he did. He'd been to his show at Tilton. He had actually come to the underground on Noah's birthday Mm. that year, and he had. Left, right. He broke him out of the hospital. He didn't want to be there. And Henry bought him by the space. And there's David, David Hammonds, his hero. Yeah. So again, it's like it's always just a bit magical, mystical hell. But it comes together. But funny because, of course, that is a sanctioned version of that imitation of wealth of of the kind of move that was made early on when you couldn't get when you couldn't the get thing, the loan. Right. So it's sort of like it's very yeah. good circularity there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That you have David Hammonds like. Do the thing that you kind of were already doing, doing, but I'll give it the stamp of approval. It also, I remember someone, I think uh, probably obviously Helen called, you know, no one knew Carrie James Marshall except Helen. We were like, hey, Carrie, you know, (laughs) there's this kid who did this thing and we need, and he's like, oh, I got a couple of things kicking around the studio. And they were, you know, of course, perfect for the show and Dita Lawson had just made this incredible masterpiece Mm. out. Um, in Africa that had yet to be shown Um, and and Bob Gober lent the wallpaper oh Noah wrote this amazing letter to Bob Gober yeah so I had known Bob Noah really wanted the wallpaper wow and we sent Bob Noah's email and Bob as you know is very particular about the work and agreed to I mean he sent the wallpaper for free um and Noah had asked us to put on top of the wallpaper this um, like WPA era photograph by a Czechoslovakian female photographer named Marion Falfi that was taken in January like 1942 or something. It was the first widow, the first Lynch victim's widow of that year. Wow! So it's a African American woman headshot. You know, very, you know, her face is etched in. Pain, Mm. you know, pain Mm. and disbelief and, you know, all of the things that would attend, Mm. um, we can imagine would attend such a violent form of loss. 
And I took a photograph of it and sent it to Bob because I knew Bob was so particular. I wanted to make sure that, you know, Bob would also be okay. And Bob wrote us um, an email that he had never, that never before had the wallpaper been installed in a way that had really realized it and that this was that moment. So I, wow. again, but I, I do think that's sort of back to that generosity of, of Noah. I mean, I think he, he made a space for other artists. Mm. And I feel like when other artists come into that space, they both take the liberty that the space offers, but also elevate their game to the level of the offer in a way. Right. So like Dina Lawson and Rodney McMillan made extraordinary shows mm. there that I don't know if they could have made in their own gallery spaces. Right. You know, I mean, I think they're like, it's like when you play chess or tennis with somebody better than you, you know, you kind of, you bring something to that table. And I feel like that's one of the things that happens at the underground. I also realized I was relatively new to the inner workings of art exhibition or making, of course. And so I got the sense that Noah's originality and vision as a curator mm-hmm. was um, really evident. Mm. Like the hanging of the photo on top of another work. I remember Helen being like, that's against the rules. You, right. you, just don't do, you just don't do that. In my line of work, we don't do that. And to, for Bob. To come back and be like, he got it. That's the, he got yeah. it. He actually, by breaking the rules, he actually nailed it. Or I don't know if it's that simple, but the, the, um, the, the genius of his curatorial vision was really part of the fabric of what makes shows at the underground, especially his shows, because we now have done yeah. certain shows that, weren't necessarily part of that original charter of right. Noah's vision, but we always, you know, are, are thinking about... But he about, left a list of people. Left yeah, list yeah, right yeah, 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 exactly. So, like the Rodney, yeah. Yeah. About that first show, I think, am, am I getting the title right? The Imitation of Wealth? Imitation the, of Wealth. Of Wealth, right? So what, can someone take me through, like, what happened? I mean, he asked for a bunch of loans of kind of serious art, didn't get them, and then just, how did you guys, oh, you, yeah. Quran, how I did mean, you guys make <laughs> People would come into the space. He asked museums, he asked galleries, he asked collectors. People are like, you're crazy. <laughs> We're not bringing this work to that neighborhood. Like, what are you talking about? Um, so he looked up at the fluorescent lights that were hanging in the space and the light bulb went off. He's like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take down these lights. We're going to get some gels. We're going to make some damn flavins. We're going to, he wanted to do the Jeff Koons um, right. yeah, piece. Didn't you source the vacuum cleaner? I sourced yeah. the vacuum cleaner that day on Craigslist. On Craigslist. It was, I drove to the valley to get this vacuum cleaner, and it was exact. The one. The, right. It was yeah. the one. And what are the odds that that day, he came up with it. It was just like, we did it. And then I had to like bring it back and scrub it up and get it all nice. And right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it make, was all dirty. Jeffify it. Yeah. yeah. And uh-huh. that's where the show began. But that show must have gotten people's attention. No, it didn't. No, no. no one cared. No At one that cared. point, it was just the neighborhood and friends wow. that were coming to the underground. Like people that like, knew it, but like it was really underground. Yeah. It was like <laughs> Noah's experiment for himself and for yeah. people who were in the, you know, who just happened to catch it. 
he, you could tell he was working through his ideas that became the underground. Now there are these legendary kind of shows, but at the time, was, I remember the LA Weekly maybe wrote a little, a little tiny something, but she was blurb. also a friend. Yeah, she's yeah. A friend. <laughs> she was a friend. Like yeah, <laughs> but even the Oracle was still kind of on the no, the DL. Oracle it was wasn't, wasn't it? D- yeah, I think. yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's compared fair. to what happened, yeah, the Oracle no, that's was fair. still. It was all kind of a prelude. Yeah, yeah, he definitely. was working stuff out. And... Yeah, and he would often. Even, I mean, at that point, he had fired his gallery mm, right. and he was just selling work out of the underground. Right. And he was, as Khalil said, working through ideas. And so lots of time, the neighborhood, they got to see a Noah Davis show that nobody else saw. So, And it's in those early shows that he pushed Karan and I to make work. Make work, oh, yeah. Wow. Kind of, totally. I think I think he simultaneously believed in us to make work that belonged in that space, but mm-hmm. also he needed work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. needed to put something in his face. Yes. Yeah, right? yeah. And he was being resourceful yeah. in the same way Imitation Wealth was this pure invention right. and resourcefulness. Yeah. It was also like, let me, I got my brother and my wife yeah, exactly. were yeah, extremely just... creative and in the process. You know, like here, because my studio was at the underground at that point, and Kron was living there with, obviously. So it was just a, like, he just literally turned to both of us. Yeah. He's like, you're <laughs> doing like, a show in two weeks. You yeah. got two weeks? Because this, this is how we're going to do it. And I was like, oh. And that's where, his, again, <laughs> Helen said Daniel DeJure came right. in, who is still... Production. Yeah, everything. everything. Mm-hmm. And he, he looked at Daniel and was like, how do I make a world-class exhibition? How do I make this look like an exhibition for two pennies and a nickel? Wow. And Daniel was like, I got you. Wow. Can I go back? I, I kind of want to hear how you guys started first talking about the Underground Museum, Quran. Like, what, like, I mean, he was a painter. You, making, you guys were making work together. Obviously, you said you were kind of nesting in your home yeah. for a while. At what point did the kind of nest give birth to... Well, um, hmm. I mean, I think it would start with Kevin because he was so generous and would always give money and remind Noah at the end of the year, like, got to give back. And so I think he he instilled that in the boys, would you say? Yeah. And his also love for real estate. Mm. And we would always just go around the neighborhood. West Adams is the oldest neighborhood in Los Angeles, and you have these beautiful craftsman homes. And we would go into these homes and dress up and knew that we had not a dime, (laughs) but just dream about creating space um, to show film and art and bringing people together in a bit of an art club. Like we were just throwing around all these ideas. And then um, Kevin got sick. And I think you can take it from here, Khalil, because there were conversations Kevin was having with you and Noah when he was getting treatment about what to do as a family. Yeah. When our father was kind of, he got really sick and Noah and I were in New York for that, for that moment. And, uh, you know, there's a, towards the end of one's life, you start, a lot starts to come out. Yeah. So my dad was like, we want, I want you guys to start a space for the, you know, in the community and it's going to have coffee and it's going to be about arts and it's going to be all these things. And I remember my, Noah and I just like, like what are you talking about (laughs) like we you know sure sure and so we started writing down all these ideas that included and he passed and we moved back to california and you know that whole a process like that for anyone who's been through it is you got to contend with a lot of from Mm. like that's that idea just kind of got i don't say lost at all but you know you're dealing with estate 
wrapping family. up these things, all this yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, medical bills, whatever those those intense. conversations are. Yeah, but my father left us both inheritance, and my brother used that inheritance almost entirely. I think. Yeah, no, to, he was very clear about to, this to is not our money. This is for the community. This is what we're gonna do. But it was. I don't. I'll be honest. Like I don't. I mean. Uh, I think there was a, a a consciousness that Noah had that he was fulfilling a version of my father's dream. Yes, of dream, course. Right. But it was mm-hmm. also very much Noah's dream. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the, it was both simultaneously. Does that make sense? Yes. And to honor yes. Kevin. So the Purple Garden is yes. was, you know, he would spend a lot of time out there. And I, I feel the underground was a healing project for him. Like he just yeah. threw it all into yeah. that you know and it's yeah. it was it was all about kevin it was all about that i mean it's amazing yeah. because it, it has as a space and as i would get a cultural entity it has the energy of a kind of dream or i guess of a double dream just again to go back to what for me is one of the salient characteristics of noah is that it's a dream world that had all this room for all these other people's dreams too. Mm-hmm. So like what happened at the opening of nonfiction where like a thousand people came and it was an opening that began in the daytime and went through to the evening. So it was this like, families with young children from noon to three and then like these kind of hipster types of dusk and then like even hipper types once the sun went down for dancing and this evolution of a crowd that just kept growing and everyone like everyone showed up first off everyone shows up for underground events like so correct like people just look amazing so beautiful and and i think also in the wake of you know the current political situation or cultural situation we find ourselves in just people wanted to be in a space where um well i think i think everybody wanted to be in black space and i think like it was black space and those were the terms of engagement and then it was open and it felt like a gift. Like it always feels like a gift that lots of people and like, you know, a gift demands a to be reciprocated, right? That's part of the logic of the gift. And I feel like when everybody shows up correct and everybody shows up with all their A-game energy, like that's part of what they're doing at an opening almost. It's like they, they come to reciprocate the generosity and that just creates this sort of, it's like a wave. It's like the tide goes out, the tide comes in. Like you can count on that, that love energy at the UM all the time. It feels like art in the in the big everybody loves art sense like fashion or something Mm. is um what you what you experience when you go to meet art quote unquote at the museum or a gallery doesn't quite live up to the feeling that it has inside your heart into your your head as a young person or, or anybody who loves art and i think noah started to really recognize that and he was able to actually collapse 
how people, what art means to any art maker or art lover, and actually collapse it into the actual experience of engaging art. So as, as opposed to having a distanced reaction, like a kind of you're being held at arm's length, you're having the kind of proper emotional sort of affective living reaction, with living, living with the art. Yes. Well, look, I mean, one way, to, like the simplest way to say it is like nobody is networking at a UM event. You know, like nobody is doing that. And you might meet your wife, though. <laughs> <laughs> or partner. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's many baby, underground there's, babies. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, there's oh, many yeah for sure. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and some of it, too, I think is chalked up to Noah always wanting to make everything free. Yeah. So immediately when you walk in, no matter who you are, the there's the the idea of a market, the idea of who's who's hot or whatever mm. those conversations might be it's there's no um uh trend we're not asking of a transaction in any way right. at any point in that experience yeah you feel that in, in terms of fine art any other space whether it's a museum or gallery that's it's very clear that everything around you is very expensive it, you could have a a million dollar painting on the wall but you won't have that feeling at the underground. Can I ask these two guys a yeah. question? So, because um, I see, you know, I talk to Karan all the time. and We see each other, you know, relatively frequently in L.A. and we work on the U.M. But these pictures are up now. These paintings are up. Mm. And um, you're both seeing things you haven't probably seen in a long time, even though you both live with Noah's work in your own homes and... Mm -hmm. Noah's work hangs at the in the back room at the UM. So I'm curious what this moment is like for you at the level of the paintings. Cause I feel like I know I know I know our various stories about the UM, you know, but where how are you feeling about Noah the the painter, Noah the the that part of his practice and seeing those pictures and this kind of presentation at at the gallery, which is so beautiful, uh, so beautiful, <laughs> so bespoke in every way, you know, I mean, it's the, the reverence with which that gallery treats artwork is very, you can really feel it. And I'm yeah. curious how, what it, what that feels like to you, what the paintings, what, what were you surprised by, mm. you know, just what, what, what's this like for you now? Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm blown away by the cohesiveness of these kind of intangible, this, these intangible quotients I can't even sometimes put my finger on. So it's not like, oh, you know, techniques or anything. It's like this other, these other layers that I would uh, glimpse in one-off paintings. But, you know, it's in many ways, it's kind of like a survey, mm. you know, it's an ahistorical. It's not work he just made in the last six months or something. Um, but when I guess the highlight from, you know, I, I'm, I'm partial. I'm like Karan, obviously, <laughs> I'll unpack how she, what, what her experience has been. But, um, I've always felt he was like the best. <laughs> That's what I was about to say. Yeah. Noah was a motherfucking genius. <laughs> and now New York and He's everybody gets to experience and know. That's how I feel. It's like, if you don't know, now you know. Right. Yeah. You know, it's. We all knew he was something special and is something special, you know. But seeing it all together, I'm sorry, Khalil, no, you can no. But seeing it all together and being able to share it with everybody and share it with 
Moses, who's mm. 10 now, yeah. and he doesn't remember the show at, at the Astors, and seeing his energy around it. Well, one of the high, I mean, he's, I think he's always known his dad was famous too, but now it's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> My dad was really famous. <laughs> 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 no, when you see like the, the amount of like fuss, you know, it's like 50 people sort of all right. You know, yeah. For a kid, that's kind of an amazing thing. Yeah. You know, the like handlers and all that stuff. Yeah. He and he fire. took his shoes off right away, yeah, which like I knew that. that I was like, okay, this is the right place because he feels at home. He feels yeah. like he even said, this feels like the underground. This yeah. feels like home. And yeah. But one of the highlights was um, Chris O'Feely came. Uh, when we were installing with oh, David Adage, yes. um, to see the work, and I've never met Chris. I know Noah never met Chris. You know, I think for, I know and I love Chris's work. And to walk around, Chris was very the, one of the galleries where the works were being installed was closed with tape and plastic. You got a painting in the floors or something, and he just burst in the room <laughs> like, "Yeah, I'm, that that don't mean nothing." Yeah, to him, he needed to see the paintings. Yeah. <laughs> and I wa- I kind of shadowed they're they're close friends, David and Chris. Yeah. And so um both, you know, majestic geniuses in their own right. And they were walking around and spending about ten minutes each with each work, which is and and kind of unpacking and commenting and riffing on the humor and you know, it was like I almost wanted to cry. It was amazing because it was you could tell there was an immense they weren't doing it for me. They weren't being you know generous in their um, appreciation they were just they were <laughs> you know they first time seeing his work i could tell and so that was ex- that's something that i i didn't i don't want to say expect but i couldn't have ex- expected um to hear another painter really um help me see things i never even see. i mean there were, i was looking at paintings i've seen for years and I was literally seeing things I'd never mm-hmm. like right in front of your face. Yeah, kind of things. Can you imagine? It's like someone telling you there's someone in a painting. I that agree. Wasn't even you know, I didn't even yeah. notice that guy or the expression mm-hmm. on his face or there. Or there's no shadows. You were Helen. You were talking yeah. about the shadows, but then on the Letting Breathe install, there's this shadow which Chris was like, "That looks like a bamboo, uh, um, a bamboo, bamboo." bamboo mm-hmm. Sorry, and I was like, "Wow!" And I had to go back and look at it, and I was like. Oh my God, yeah, that is a bamboo. And Chris, Chris kept saying, you know, there's more than one painting in this painting. Yeah. Which is, you know, maybe something that painters are, a conversation that painters always have with each other. You know what I mean? That's happening on a technical level, but I didn't. I'm just kind of, as a storyteller, I'm getting this, but I would, I got it in a way that I was like, geez, man, this is amazing. I mean, that, that the question that raises is that overpainting question, uh, which <laughs> more than one painting in a painting. <laughs> Oh, oh this heartbreaking. 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 Yeah, heartbreaking. there's so many paintings that are... Can you imagine like someone like recording a masterpiece song and then, and then re- delete. deleting it and just using <laughs> the, the tape to record another song? It's like we should just be, you do that. Yeah, we you should be clear just, for our audiences. Yeah. So like what hap- what would happen is <laughs> no one would paint a bunch of paintings and people would see them. And then almost everybody who knows Noah well has the story of they saw a pic, they say they see a bunch of paintings, they think, oh my god, that's amazing. They go back two days later, and they've all been painted over. So yeah. also for our one. audience, every yeah. si- like so- that was the other thing. It was it there was a kind of uh, scorched earth, like you know. <laughs> 
But for our audience to be clear, every painting they'll see in the show, there's other paintings behind those, those paintings. paintings. Definitely. All of them. It's not, it's like there's these sedimented layer stories that are completely hidden. I mean, you'd have to. And you would paint over them for different reasons. Sometimes it's because we couldn't afford canvases. And these were the paintings that came back from the show that didn't sell. And fuck it, I'm just going to paint over them because we just need the money. You know, sometimes it's like, damn, I can't get that face. The face. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't get the face right. But it would I'm be start, so look, yeah, Just get rid of it. So, I mean, <laughs> I have been, I mean, I'm sure Karan has way more pictures in her head of paintings I've been painting over than I do. But I mean, the ones that I remember are just like. The B-sides. That'll be one. But I thought Henry, Henry Taylor talks about it. And I thought Henry had a great account of it because I'm not a painter and I'm not an artist. So like it is the song moment. I, I Like I can't imagine writing 70 pages and then like getting to the end and being like, Ah, fuck it. Delete. You know, like I just can't. I don't have the de- I don't have the ego for that, you know. But Henry said that he thought it was like this like no complacency, no boredom, like constant striving. So mm. like you stand at the free throw line, you see how many free throws you can do in a row. You do whatever. Right. 108. Then you miss one. Got to go back. Right. To see if I can do 109, right? Like this kind of constant sense of um, virtuosic, virtuosity and one-upmanship with oneself. Yes. Oh, definitely. Right. I mean, I think that's the – so we're all describing this heartbreak. And Henry was like, man. He didn't care. He it's called true. me on it. He was like, that's your heartbreak, honey. That's not that's his. A, that's got some, that's not about you in the picture. That That's not what Noah, Noah, Noah was. wasn't ever like, oh. I should have kept, no, yeah. never. Noah never. had no heartbreak. Noah had, wm-hmm. wow, if it can be that good and I made it that easily, it could be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the bar for himself was so, so high. Right. I mean, you see it with Underground. I mean, yeah. his attention to detail, every little you know, seam and every little kind of nook and cranny, every corner. It's like if it was off an inch, she would go crazy. Yeah. And, and Helen did such a beautiful job curating the show and really yeah. the breadth of his work and the different styles and how he would steal from people but make it his own. And yeah. this is this period, like for someone who lived to 32, such short, like so he did so much, so many different styles and, and conquered so much in his paintings. The kind of last question I sort of wanted to ask about Khalil was was just a little bit about the the dynamic growing up. I mean, and again, if it's too personal, we don't have to go there. But like, you know, both your relationship with Noah as a young person, as a as a cr- creative young person who basically said he was a painter, time he was seventeen, he was like, "That's what I'm doing," right? I mean, I feel like it happened pretty mm-hmm. early for him. And and also, I guess the creative conversation that you guys did or didn't have um, growing up. I think the creative conversation was largely unspoken. I'll be honest. Mm. Um, uh, I remember when Noah got into Cooper Union. Um, we were in San Francisco with my dad. For the NBA All Star Game of all play, of all things, and um, my dad and Noah were like, "He got into Cooper Union." I mean, I, rem- I remember thinking like, "What the fuck is Cooper Union?" Like, 
It sounds like a community college or something, you know? It's it like, is. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, it doesn't have the best. Yeah, it does And uh, the story goes, um, Noah was kind of reluctant to um, apply to university. This wasn't his thing. And so apparently Cooper Union went, came to Seattle and did one of those college things where ki- they, you know, in, a bunch oh, yeah. of ki- there's a bunch of universities lined up and, and you can go, yeah. yeah. And Noah brought my mother. This is how the story goes. <laughs> my brother told Noah to bring his notebook. And apparently Noah got in to Cooper just on his notebook. He just Alone. flashed the notebook there in the moment, basically. Yeah. It was basically like, this kid is fucking... <laughs> He belongs in our school. Like this, wow. You know, he wasn't going to go study, like, e- you know, economics or something. This no, is no, not no. going to happen. Well, um, his technical facility is so I mean, crazy. crazy. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, the, the sense of composition, the sense of palette. I mean, the, the fluidity of the, the drawn line, the yeah. collage aesthetic. I mean, all of those things are in place. In a young, I mean, and I don't, you know, I know Noah from 31 to 32, and still I found his uh, his skills, you know, to exceed most other people's skills. I mean, yeah. it's just, he, he had that thing. And he always had, like, a really good sense of history. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, history is vast. And so you almost need good taste and understand during history, like what you know is worth. <laughs> what's worth the time spending on harping you know? on? Yeah. What's worth mm-hmm. remembering? What's worth continuing? You know, and I remember at a young age, he would always. It always seemed like he had. He would. It was that book or that period in history mm-hmm. or this that thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, Helen will tell you. Carl will tell you. He was. One of the reasons the underground and his curation is so good is because his understanding of art history was so on point. Right. Mm-hmm. You can feel that. It's oh, like man. He's breathing. I mean, come on, man. He, it was uncanny, like his, his ability to be an art historian and his appreciation for stuff. Yeah. Also, this non, I love artists and great artists often are totally non hierarchical, you know, in their thinking, like, Rothko alongside whoever. Absolutely. It's just like whatever moves you in an organic way. And that's always a really beautiful thing. Absolutely. And that's how he curated the shows from the Mocha collection is if, if, you know, if the work is good, then you belong on the wall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he didn't care who made it. Who made it, you know? Um, Guys, Khalil, Helen, Karan, thank you so much for being here today and being part of this. Thank you. Thank you. Dialogues is produced by David Zwerner. You can find out more about the artists on this series by going to davidswerner.com slash dialogues. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really does help other people discover the show. I'm Lucas Werner. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you join us again next time.